I don't think they've ever used uh, uh, progesterone itself in a study in humans. Uh, going back uh, to the 40s when progesterone was just barely becoming available, uh, people were using it to treat cancer in humans, but it was just on an individual basis. And there have been oh, quite a few publications using medroxyprogesterone and stuff which is not progesterone oh. uh, to treat kidney cancer and breast cancer and such. And it works somewhat, but it isn't progesterone and doesn't have all of the good properties of progesterone and has some of the bad properties. Um, so uh, the best information is still uh, from animal studies, and even those uh, pretty much faded out after the shoots uh, left, left the field in the 50s. Hmm. Um, I thought I remembered one with women who had cervical cancer where they were injecting progesterone. Uh, um, oh, yeah, yeah, that was... Um, was that medoxy uh, progesterone? It was just a, just a few women. That was real progesterone, but uh, it was only a few women, and they were just... Uh, they they had diagnosed them as being incurable, and so they were willing to uh, see what happened. They were trying to cure it, uh, uh, and they um, had people. Uh, they photographed and and felt the condition of the cervix at the start, and then they injected what they thought were big doses, but uh, uh, they never mentioned that. Any of the women were anesthetized, which happens when you give a big dose. Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't really know how much the women were getting uh, because they were injecting it in vegetable oil, which uh, is an unpredictable solvent. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if they weren't getting anesthetized to any extent that anyone noticed, uh, they were hardly getting anything more than a physiological dose, but still, uh, during the course of the study, uh, they saw a great improvement in the appearance and feeling uh, and symptoms. Uh, the bleeding decreased, the lumpiness decreased, and so on. It looked less like cancer after a few weeks of treatment. But uh, since they didn't do the experiment to intending to cure cancer, they went ahead and, and uh, cut out the uteruses after a certain number of weeks had elapsed and concluded that uh, progesterone had no promise <laughs> as a treatment. Hmm. And it, it, it's, the article is mostly interesting for the, the weird conclusion, and then the, the article published right next to that in the same book was about... Um, treating breast cancer with estrogen and uh, as many of the patients got worse as got better with the estrogen and they concluded that this stuff has great promise hmm. and those, those two articles published right against each other are most interesting for the, the uh, degree of psychosis that goes unnoticed in medical science. Mm -hmm. 
and maybe in our society is in general, it's, it's funny, you were pointing out the dominance of the estrogen industry over the last couple of shows, and I was thinking that's kind of analogous to the dominance of estrogen in the sick person uh, uh, in, uh, without the progesterone to oppose it, and it seems like the same uh, thing is happening in our society, which uh, indicates to me that there's something wrong. Um, yeah. Um, this one study, I think, is still going on. I think his initials are D.G. D.G. Stein was the leader of the study, uh, giving progesterone uh, within the first 24 hours after a catastrophic head injury and finding that the people survive when they get estrogen and, and recover remarkably well instead of just progressing to, to dead so it's it's very effective, as you said, for um, any kind of injury uh, of uh, um, stopping excitation. Yeah, uh, yeah stops edema and uh, excitation and uh, deterioration of of any tissue, but the, especially noticeable in the brain because edema is uh, deadly in the brain. And as Ray pointed out in the last few shows, that it's not. Uh, a money maker, to put it simply, uh, progesterone is not patentable. Uh, perhaps you could, I mean, they've, you said they've tried to alter the molecule some so they could patent it, but those, um, artificial progest, progestins, they call them, uh, actually, yeah. actually have estrogenic effects. Um, yeah, either estrogenic or, or, um, androgenic, or in some cases, uh, glucocorticoid effects. Mm. And uh, uh, just recently, I saw an article uh, emphasizing the difference between the real progesterone and the medroxyprogesterone that was used in the Women's Health Initiative mm -hmm. study. And uh, uh, this person was uh, sort of sounding annoyed that, that people were making the confusion, but I don't know how influential that publication will be. Hmm. And the medroxyprogesterone is actually what's called a progestin. If you're, if you're uh, yeah. taking hormone replacement therapy, you think you're getting progesterone, but you're probably just getting and, progestin. Yeah. It's similar enough to progesterone that it turns off your own production of progesterone. And the odd thing about real progesterone is that if you aren't producing enough of it and you take some, uh, you produce more of it. It uh, reinforces the system hmm. for its own production, uh, just exactly the opposite of what the synthetic progestins do. I see. Uh, on the same subject of uh, cancer, um, somebody brought up the point that the uh, uh Craig B. Thompson, President and CEO, CEO of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, uh, has something on YouTube where he discusses new ways to think about cancer and how cancer arises in humans. And I'm going to accept this call here. Uh, he concludes that at the end, that if you overfeed someone with fat, you do not increase their rise of cancer at all. If you overfeed someone with carbohydrates, you dramatically increase the cancer rate. And protein um, is halfway in between. 
And uh, this person would like to hear your response to that. Oh, I haven't read it, but um, I've seen um, a couple of other uh, things that I think are equally crazy. Uh, Gary Tobes or Tobes mm-hmm. uh, has an article in Science about a year ago saying basically the same thing, which I think he got his uh, idea from uh, Dr. Lustig's video. Uh, but uh, I have read lots of of studies uh, on the on the subject, and uh, going back. Um, Almost a hundred, well, ninety years anyway. Uh, I think the evidence is very clear that fat is the main uh, unsaturated fat is is, if not uh, the only, it's at least by far the largest uh, promoter of of cancer, uh, not just in humans but everywhere they look. Mm. And uh, the, the interesting thing about carbohydrate is that. Uh, the fats that we make out of carbohydrate when we eat an excess of it uh, are anti-growth uh, of cancer. Uh, they lower the uh, amount of the unsaturated fats circulating in our blood, and uh, uh, they uh, have a, a shift effect on the metabolism of cancer cells. Uh, they tend to restore oxidative metabolism and suppress aerobic glycolysis, which is a characteristic uh, cancer metabolism. Uh, so uh, this guy, he, he might have some bit of evidence in mind, but if he doesn't mention the 99% of the overwhelmingly opposing evidence, there's something wrong with, mm. with his presentation. Yeah, he doesn't distinguish between fats. Uh, he just says fat and uh, or carbohydrate. Uh, yeah, well, one of the ways they they trick the experiment so it looks like they can uh, improve their sales of fish fat or whatever is to uh, give give the most toxic fat as to the control animals and uh, their test substance uh, such as fish fat to the other animals and to the fish fat happens to oxidize so quickly that it doesn't reach the cells in uh, quantity uh, as great as the uh, seed oil does. And if they're feeding uh, uh, a comparison between fat and sugar, for example, they'll make sure to add the carcinogenic required amount of linoleic acid uh, to the diet. So then the... um, uh, the sugar all goes into storage, but the the animal is still being exposed to the, the crucial carcinogenic amount of linoleic acid. Mm. Um, I've looked at probably 150 articles that claim <coughs> to have results of that sort, and uh, they're all... Uh, it's hard to imagine that they weren't designing it just to get the results they want. Well, we should probably get back to that. Uh, in a minute, we have a caller on the line. Uh, Gene, are you there? Oh, yes, yes. Sorry, I, uh, I should listen. I didn't listen before I called in. So, <laughs> um, Hi. Uh, a couple of questions, if it's okay. Um, 
One, I tried, uh, I haven't eaten dairy food, much dairy food for many years. And I was, I've been trying your diet and, um, I started drinking milk, <clears throat> whole raw milk, and my sinuses got, uh, stuffed up again. Uh, is there any? What happened? My sinuses got clogged up. Oh. Well, I've, I've, I've always had that problem. Um, I wouldn't um, necessarily recommend whole milk or raw milk unless you're familiar with the particular cows. Um, and <laughs> if you get a, a bad result from one dairy or one cow, uh, then try another one that feeds the cows something different. Uh, I've felt the, the difference myself. Um, just between local dairies and in a supermarket, uh, uh, there was one brand of milk that was always cheaper and tasted a little funny, and I always got sick when I drank it. And uh, uh, there are so many things that can go wrong. Uh, all milk except uh, whole milk, and maybe even that now, but the government requires the addition of vitamin A and D to uh, all of the commercial milk supplies. And those uh, dairies don't like to tell uh, how they add those vitamins, but uh, generally there is some uh, diluent that the vitamins are carried in, uh, probably an emulsifier so that they don't uh, stick to the sides of the vessels or, or float to the top. So well, this... Vitamins this have this milk was from a local uh, organic raw dairy, uh, raw milk, you know, with the cream in, mixed in. And I've had the same problem drinking or eating dairy uh, from many different sources throughout many years. I seem to have the same response, whether it's from store-bought or, uh, you know, right from the cow or whatever. Uh, yeah, do you get that from cottage cheese or cheese? Yes. Or from goat milk? Uh, I don't like goat milk. <laughs> I don't like the taste of that. So, um, it, It's undoubtedly some kind of digestive problem, but uh, it's just a matter of experimenting uh, different kinds of cheese. Uh, have you noticed an effect on your, your sinus symptoms? Um, yeah, usually, uh, once in a while it doesn't bother me, um, but, uh, most of the time it does. I don't have any digestive problems, just uh, sinus and, uh, and my, my lungs get, I get mucus in my, uh, lungs as well, or, you know, I cough up mucus. Well, uh, what, how the mucus gets there is that your intestine is being irritated, and, uh, the irritation is, Either that you have bacteria uh, growing on the food, or the food itself contains allergens. Uh, huh. And and very often, uh, just by by changing the dairy or the type of cheese, or cooking it rather than eating it raw, you can find which things cause the mucus reaction. But it isn't that the the milk gets into your blood and causes. Uh, mucus production in your head or lungs, it, it's um, a reaction from your intestine. Oh, 
Okay. Hey, Gene, could you stand back from your microphone or talk a little softer? It's it, you're, it, you're you're a little too loud. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, I've been working with Lita Lee, and she suggested I drink cream instead of milk to solve the problem. Drink what kind? Cream rather than milk. I, I've i never uh, heard of anyone trying that, but uh, I would say try um, uh, some homemade skimmed milk uh, cottage cheese first. Okay. All right. Um is that better, John? That's a little better. You can you can even back up more because you're coming. <laughs> I think because you're so close, it's very loud. Okay. Um, well, thank you. That my second question is: um, I have a relative who's been diagnosed with um, chronic superficial gastritis um, and also inflamed duodenum. What would you suggest there? Um, have they um, been checked with with an endoscopy for for bacteria or exactly what the condition is? This was through a yes yes uh, they through a colonoscopy and uh, also the through the thro- through the throat. And did they find that they had any bacterial problem growing up in the duodenum or or stomach? I believe so, but I'm not positive. Um, He's had severe uh, uh, stomach pain for two or three years. It's been getting worse and lots of diarrhea. Um, It's good to check things like the thyroid, but also to um, uh, consider an elimination diet. Uh, There are so many foods, um, even natural uh, fresh foods, uh, uh, you can uh, rank them according to their likelihood to uh, support bacterial growth. And, and then there are lots of food additives that uh, uh, are definitely, anything with carrageenan, for example, uh, it, it's causing a, a lot of uh, cases of inflammation of the stomach, bowel, uh, diarrhea, constipation, um, and Carrageenan is showing up in an incredible number of foods, everything from organic uh, whipping cream to uh, squid patties. <laughs> uh. <laughs> hmm. Okay. We'll check, we'll work on that. Um, all right. Anything else, Gene? Um, not at the moment. All right. Hey, Ray, um, hang on just a sec, Gene. Uh, is there any uh, use in sneaking up on the milk consumption, uh, just doing a little bit at a time? Uh, um, to get, yeah, if to, a person thinks they, if they think they might have a problem digesting uh, the lactose or any food uh, that's chemically different, uh, then if you drink uh, two or three ounces at a meal, uh, that exposes the uh, intestine to the new chemical. And in a week or two, or at most a month or two, uh, the enzymes usually will express themselves, even though they might have been gone for years. 
uh, you can usually induce them in a few weeks by these small uh, samples, just a half a glass at a time, so there's not enough to feed the bacteria uh, significantly, but enough to uh, uh, sort of tickle the enzyme system into getting active. I actually started with just a couple of ounces a day, and uh, as soon as I um, <clears throat> as soon as I did, I had that response. All right, and uh, what about do, were you going to ask about the enzymes, Gene? We talked about that on Monday. Was that something? Oh, uh, yeah. As I said, I've been working with Lita Lee. I guess you know her, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And she has uh, recommended I take a number of uh, enzyme uh, supplements. Are you familiar familiar with those? Um, yeah, but I'm very uh, cautious with uh, any kind of a, a, a pill-shaped supplement. Me too. <laughs> in, in, in the process, uh, there are so many allergens that can enter. So um, anything that uh, especially involves microorganisms, you want to be very cautious. Uh, a, a couple of people have told me that uh, when they took uh, the pure uh, free amino acids that they got incredibly sick and uh, it, it, you have to be really cautious and maybe take a half a half a tablet as a trial and wait three three days or so just to make sure you you handle it the same with any supplement uh, vitamin C supplements can cause terrible problems for for people I've, I've seen people who had uh, terrible sinus symptoms for years and years and uh, when I just suggested they lay off their vitamin supplements for a week <laughs> they didn't ever have a runny nose again <laughs> hmm. not too much of a testimonial for vitamins <laughs> yeah for for a while I, I was counseling <clears throat> at a at a, an alternative health uh, place in Eugene where allergies uh, in, in the summer, because of the grass fields around Eugene, allergies were a big problem. And uh, hmm. for a couple of years, I had the reputation for curing everyone's allergies by getting them to stop their vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Are you familiar with Lyme disease and any connection that with that and thyroid? Um, uh, yeah, hypothyroidism is often misdiagnosed as Lyme disease. Do you th- uh, candida is the other thing that is commonly, if you can't uh, find a cause, then Lyme disease and candida are are the first suspects, but uh, hmm. usually it's just hypothyroidism. What if you test positive for uh, Lyme? Uh, well, lots of people do. Uh, there's some overlap with other uh, we all tend to be exposed to spirochetes, and there's overlap with other spirochetes. And uh, a course of antibiotics for a, a week or two is a way to uh, eliminate it. Uh, the Lyme disease can be eradicated, just, to, just as syphilis would be, for example. But uh, by avoiding 
looking for other causes such as hypothyroidism. Uh, some doctors make a good business out of out of the uh, the Lyme treatments forever. Yeah. Hmm. I've been working with a, a naturopathic doctor who doesn't. He recommends you know antibiotics for the initial onset of Lyme, but then mostly herbs. Um, and um, what he what he says, I guess a number of people say, is that um, the uh, the antibiotics for, force the uh, spirochete to create a hard shell around themselves, and they go into the shell, which is why the symptoms uh, desist after antibiotics. But then over time, the spirochetes break out of the shell and and migrate around your your body, especially in joints and stuff, which is why people experience uh, joint pain years after uh, the initial uh, onset of the the, the Lyme. Hmm. Uh, well, uh, if they haven't eliminated <clears throat> an endocrine problem, uh, very what, what I see is that the, the uh, hypothyroid people with low immune function also get the whole range of symptoms that are blamed on that, such as arthritis. Uh, and uh, if you can cure the disease by correcting the thyroid, it's a lot easier. Uh, about 40, 40 or 45 years ago, a friend of mine uh, had an accident working on his house, and uh, the, the stress of it apparently brought on uh, severe arthritis and he went to his doctor who uh, examined him and uh, didn't prescribe cortisone for his arthritis. He prescribed thyroid, armor thyroid supplement because he saw he was hypothyroid. And my friend was really annoyed, uh, went home grumbling. Uh, the doctor had fixed something that he thought wasn't broke. And in a, a week or two of taking the thyroid, his arthritis disappeared and never came back. Huh. But uh, not many doctors uh, are aware of connections such as uh, injury, stress, arthritis, hypothyroidism. And uh, most doctors would, would prescribe, uh, at, at best, cortisone to treat the symptoms, but uh, I think a lot of the Lyme doctors are are doing a similar thing, mm. uh, making a prob simple problem complex. <laughs> Ray, is, is it possible that the uh, the bite from the tick triggers some uh, anti-thyroid response? Uh, oh, well, uh, probably low thyroid people uh, have a bigger inflammatory response. <laughs> and, that probably are more likely to uh, fail to throw off the infection. Hmm. I see. So if you have the diagnosis, it's good to take your course of antibiotics, but yeah. uh, antibiotics, uh, a good combination of antibiotics, is well established hey. as a cure. I see. All right. right. You have another question, Gene? Um, uh, you're starting to uh, break up again. Oh, how is it now? Is it still terrible? 
inadvertently. Okay. Let's see if it corrects itself in a minute. Gene, whenever you move around, there's a huge amount of noise, too, on the radio. So, uh, I can't understand what you're saying. Okay. Uh, let me, um, I'm going to reconnect the call and we'll start over. Okay. 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 Yep. All right. You're listening to WMRW LP Warren. This is a special wacky fundraiser show with Dr. Raymond Pete. Uh, Ray's not wacky, but, uh, the technology is I'm using Skype to try to do a call-in show. And it's our fundraiser, so if you'd like to contribute to WMRW, you can go to WMRW.org and click on the pig. Hi. Hey, we're back. Okay. And uh, Gene, are you still there? No, we lost Gene, too. So um, the phone line is open again, and, it, and I should repeat it. It's 802-526-2326, 802-526-2326. If you have a computer with Skype in it and you're sitting in front of it, you can also Skype John Barkhausen. And we should probably open the line up for some other people. Oh, Gene's back. Hey, Gene? Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have another question? We should probably see if somebody else wants to get into Sure, go try someone else, and if they don't, I'll I'll come back with another one. <laughs> okay, great. Can you is the streaming working all right? It is now, yeah. Okay, great. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk to you probably in a little bit. Should I stay on? Or? Uh, it's better for the noise level to not be on because oh. every little noise in the background distracts. Oh, so I can listen on the radio and then call in if no one else yeah. has. Yeah, that that'd be great. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. And um, so, you think Lyme Ray has an initial uh, infection that can be affected by antibiotics, but uh, most likely it's it's not the cause of the uh, the tiredness and the somehow it's triggered hypothyroidism. Uh, so we lost Ray again. On hold. Hello? This is WMRWLP Warren with a series of mess ups. Calling back Dr. Raymond Pete, who's has a PhD in biology. And has done extensive research. In Hi. Hey, Ray. Yeah. Uh, one more time. <laughs> this could get old, but uh, so I was just asking. So you really think Lyme disease is just a thyroid problem that's triggered by the by the uh, well, immune? Well, uh, no, not the disease, but the diagnosis. Uh, oh. I would say eighty or ninety percent of the people that I've, I've talked to have been the doctors who specialize in diagnosing it and treating it chronically. Mm -hmm. I see. And have you had luck treating people uh, for Lyme? Um, yeah, well, no, no, but um, they get well. I see. And, and, and forget about the, the Lyme diagnosis. I get you. So you give them nutritional advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think... And, and, uh, the the power of um, 
undigested food is very underestimated. Can you explain uh, that? Well, um, overcooking food, like people used to do a hundred years ago, uh, it, it's much better for the digestion because we aren't designed to eat uh, uh, undercooked or raw vegetable matter. Uh, bacteria can eat it, and uh, if someone happens to have just the right mix of bacteria, uh, their bacteria can eat their uh, vegetables secondarily and uh, release some of the nutrients. But um, if you get the wrong bacteria, then uh, they produce toxins rather than nutrients. Hmm. And that's the endotoxin problem that you've referred to. Yeah. Which basically uh, poisons your system and taxes your liver. Um, yeah, endotoxin and many other things, um, allergens released from the specific plant material as well as bacterial toxins. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if we discussed this on the air before, but it's always amazed me that you talk about endotoxin all the time. Uh, if you look it up on the Internet, there's a lot of information about it. It's a real thing. It actually causes severe problems, and it, that seems to be well-recognized. But I've talked to several doctors, uh, internists about it, Smart people, they've never ever heard of it. <laughs> I guess they uh, forgot that section in medical school during a, a generation or two. Uh, but in the 19th century, uh, the intestine was a big focus of, of Anglo-American medicine uh, and, and uh, some other European Varieties, but especially the English and Americans were uh, very interested in uh, what the intestine does to the uh, the whole system. Uh, the brain intestine symptom uh, interactions and uh, uh, the uh, other organs as they're influenced by the intestine uh, that was still pretty big up until 1920 and. Uh, there was a campaign against it. Uh, Walter C. Alvarez, a newspaper enterologist, uh, helped to uh, suppress the, uh, hmm. the intestine culture in popular medicine. Uh, by, um, For example, there was a belief that uh, migraines or headaches in general were produced by toxins absorbed from the intestine. And uh, he was of the new school that didn't want to think about the intestine so much, even though he was a gastroenterologist. So he uh, stuffed wads of cotton into his medical students' uh, uh, rectums and uh, reported that the next morning uh, a certain proportion of them had headaches caused just by the the pressure in the rectum. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, so you see, headaches are caused by pressure, not by toxins. But he didn't uh, put any toxins in his students' intestines, so he didn't disprove the idea, but uh, it was just a little propaganda bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the other people, Russians, for example, uh, studied in more detail the intact toxins, nutrition, 
and pressure interact very meaningfully. Uh, in uh, an experimental animal, for example, they would uh, put a balloon in the intestine and blow it up and nothing would happen. Uh, the animal would, would keep functioning. But if they gave the animal hypoglycemia and then blew up the intestine, uh, unpredictable things would happen in the, all through the rabbit. Uh, it would have hormonal uh, and neurological reactions uh, triggered just by that pressure of blowing up a balloon hmm. in the intestine. It uh, could cause seizures or wheezing uh, or uh, all kinds of uh, widespread reactions. Hmm. And that's under, when you have low blood sugar, that's when it's particularly dangerous to, yeah. to have then, blockages? Yeah, and French and Canadian researchers, uh, instead of using pressure, they combined allergens. Um, they would feed uh, a bit of walnut uh, to an animal and would uh, maybe sneeze from the allergens in it. Then they would give it uh, moderate hypoglycemia and feed it the same thing, and it would die in shock. Hmm. And then if they would give another uh, bunch of animals slight hyperglycemia by infusing some glucose and feed them the, the same walnut or whatever, they wouldn't even sniffle. Wow. So uh, that goes along with what you said, that uh, sugar or glucose is protective. So it's yeah. it's very important to keep your blood sugar up. Yeah. Um, uh, the um, I think the particular researcher who did that was uh, named Adamke Wicks, and it was published in a book by uh, Yasmin or Jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N, Kaitan mm -hmm. Yasmin. And why was Alvarez so opposed to uh, the the research that was done in the 1800s? I, I have a book of a book of his, and he seems like a very reasonable fellow. But uh, yeah, he he was very entertaining and intelligent, but mm -hmm. um, he was just a modern that wanted to get away from the old-fashioned uh, country doctor who cured everything with laxative. I see. Um, and so, uh, as long as we're on the subject of uh, uh, digestion, how important is it that uh, people have uh, regular bowel movements? Um, I think, like, um, uh, the... Um, uh, person who popularized fiber uh, 40, 50 years ago in the U.S. Uh, was studying uh, the African uh, relative freedom from uh, bowel uh, problems, uh, cancer. And he saw that they typically would have three bowel movements a day and uh, that they ate lots of potatoes and that it was the fiber in the potato stimulating the intestine that seemed to protect their bowel. So he published things uh, about the benefits of fiber uh, and uh, the uh, cereal industry in the U.S. started selling oat bran as uh, the uh, preventive of colon cancer, which caught on in the 70s. But then uh, in the 80s, some Australians uh, tested oat bran diets on animals and found that it promoted 
<laughs> increased the incidence of bowel cancer, mm. um, apparently by the, the nature of the breakdown product. Yeah, I don't think that knowledge has ever gotten around. Uh, not very well. Uh, but in, in, in general, uh, fiber does uh, clean the intestine and... and uh, Keeping it moving lowers the estrogen reabsorption. Uh, the, the bile puts out, uh, get, tries to get rid of, of toxic materials, including estrogen. And if you don't have a, a regular movement through the intestine, a lot of that gets recycled, reabsorbed, and uh, raises your general exposure to toxins, including estrogen. Mm. All right. Well, that's a good answer. Um, I better get to some of the questions that have uh, come in by email. Uh, I keep thinking we have so much time because it's a two-hour show, but if we have any more mess-ups with the phone system, it may be a short show. So uh, let me get to these questions. Um, there's one here from uh, Keenan asking... Um, uh, what what do you think of medicinal marijuana as uh, in its relationship to uh, uh, cancer and AIDS? Is it a is it um, efficacious efficacious if I can say that? Uh, um, it, well, it helps uh, with the nausea uh, if a person is uh, having symptoms and can control the symptoms with it. It's uh, uh, very effective for, for many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the tea, uh, when, when I was 10, the doctor uh, gave me a bag, didn't say what it was, but uh, prescribed a cup of tea every day. And years later, I recognized the taste of it as, as marijuana. Hmm. But Really? I, it, yeah, it was supposed to um, uh, prevent my headaches, but it, it didn't do anything uh, noticeable for me hmm. but uh, it, it is it used to be prescribed a lot as a tea mm-hmm. and I think it's a lot safer that way than smoking it because the, the, the smoke itself is carcinogenic and estrogenic and uh, the, the, um, the various chemicals in the leaf are themselves slightly estrogenic or anti-androgenic and so I think that's probably the, the main uh, concern for someone who's using it regularly. But I, I think there are other uh, probably healthier solutions for nausea. Um, the anti-serotonin drugs and, and simply increasing the blood sugar, uh, salt and sugar, uh, very often help with nausea. Hmm. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, we have another caller on the line. Uh, Roger, are you there? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Yeah. This is Ray Pete on the line with you. Hi. Hi, Doctor Pete. Thank you for taking my call. My my question centers around um, omega three fatty acids. Uh, a couple years ago, yeah, I I came across um, uh, a supplement that uh, of whole fish oil of salmon fish oil that contained omega-3s and it was touted as being a great supplement to help arthritis and and lower triglyceride levels and that kind of thing 
And then I read your um, your research, which sort of contradicted all of these these things that I was I was hoping that uh, fish oil would do, <laughs> like save my yeah you know a great antioxidant and reverse my aging process probably about twenty years. But uh, I was wondering if you could elaborate on 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 what you found and and um, explain. What you think the the uh, the the uh, dangers are of taking uh, supplements of fish oil? Because I've been seeing that these fatty acids, the omega threes, are showing up in all kinds of organic products like organic milk and baby formula, and that seems kind of dangerous to me if there is a problem with the supplement. Yeah, yeah. Someone uh, two or three years ago analyzed the, the baby formulas and and found that uh, the great bulk of the omega minus 3 fat that had been added to it had broken down and was uh, probably in a, a toxic form uh, so their their worst feature is that they break down and oxidize very fast and uh, a, a couple of researchers have have looked for them in the blood at the time that they are having their anti-inflammatory actions and found that they had already broken down uh, but just between uh, the mouth and the bloodstream they broke down into completely new chemicals which were uh, what accounted for their anti-inflammatory effect but those same breakdown products are what in the long run suppress the whole immune system and have a lot of other toxic effects. So the, the short-range anti-inflammatory effect I see is analogous to the anti-inflammatory treatments I used to give with uh, X-ray or or uh, other radiation. Yeah, what would the, what what would some of those um, other the the other effects negative effects be other than um, um, well, the whole immune system uh, gets um, turned down so that it doesn't produce the inflammation uh, that's bothering you, but in the long run that makes you susceptible to all kinds of infections. And uh, I think in the long run it increases the risk of uh, of cancer and and the all of the age-related degenerative processes. Um, do you think do you think it would be important to continue to monitor um, people, mothers, nurses, all of us who are using uh, these omega supplements to, to see if we yes. have a, a few people are are doing that and warning uh, about their increased use. Uh, the it, it seems like a very bad idea to put it in. Uh, powdered baby food because uh, the the time and oxygen exposure uh, before it's eaten it, it just does a terrific job of degrading the, those fats because they're so unstable. Yeah. Hmm. What what should we look for as a symptom that this this is a you know a problem? Uh, oh, more infections, uh, more colds. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, um, more infections would be the the first thing. I've seen that in experimental animals, and uh, there have been some studies in in people in which uh, they their immune systems were relatively inert uh, against various organisms. And uh, uh, if, oh, go ahead, Ray. Uh, with the anti-inflammatory X-ray treatments that they used in the 40s so enthusiastically it took uh, from 10 to 15 years before they saw the uh, harmful effects of them hmm. and what can we what can we do as consumers to to alert or to get other uh, doctors such as yourself to you know maybe conduct additional research that supports your theories uh, is there a I have called various manufacturers of the product and and milk companies who are using the product, and they they assured me that everything was completely fine. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it's the same with the additives they're putting in uh, so many products. Uh, uh, the uh, like the fumed silica, uh, silicon dioxide that you see in in vitamin pills and, and drugs and even foods and uh, titanium dioxide and so on. Uh, these things are proven uh, risky at best, but you talk to the companies that use them and uh, they don't want to, to think about it. Uh, they will respond to uh, sending them an article indicating that they somehow selectively misread the research uh, incriminating the material. Right. It's hard to, to counter uh, someone's occupational commitment to, to something that isn't helpful. Mm. And, uh, Ray, maybe you can explain why it's come about that, I mean, it, I don't know if there's a short answer to this, but why it's come about that, uh, most of society this, in scientific culture uh, is invested in these uh, products that actually, uh, although they might help inflammation in the short run, cause cancer in the long run. Um, how did we get here? Uh, the, uh, the whole idea of science has been shaped by uh, commerce and the military, uh, the people who have... Uh, something very powerful to gain from using science in a certain way, uh, support it being used that way. And uh, uh, the uh, the people who are trying to be objective don't have any ulterior motives, and that means they don't have a, a source of funding. Hmm. Like there are minority views in science about issues like this, and... Uh, my understanding is they just can't get published. Oh yeah, um, and the um, have you have you um, looked at some of the controversies in other fields of science, such as Halton Arp and his um, quasar astronomy? No, um, um, he he was successful in his career as long as he uh, published his uh, pictures in his uh, 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 atlas of 
odd galaxies, uh, as long as he just said, here's odd stuff I've been finding. Mm -hmm. But when he, when he pointed out uh, some very orderly things uh, that related uh, the uh, redshift of quasars to the redshift of galaxies that they were clearly part of, uh, they said, you can't use our telescopes anymore, <laughs> even though he was funded by uh, taxpayers' money. They wouldn't let him use the uh, public telescopes. Yeah, I guess what I've become aware of during the show is that there are sci- scientific dynasties, just like there are dynasties in, in other fields and commerce, and uh, people get to the top of their career, and obviously I think it's just human nature. They don't want to be... They feel like their own reputation and uh, status is on the line if if their theory ends up being proven uh, not to be true. Um, yeah, uh, there's a little, uh, maybe a one or two minute uh, video, a bit of of uh, hmm. uh, Paul Tanarp talking about his experiences and actually uh, quotes some of the things that that happened to him on his way out of the profession. Huh. Uh, very ridiculous things that the the top people in the field uh, said and did. Wow. Well, this, this sounds like it would be ripe for the Science Channel to, to do a documentary on some of these contradictive things. <laughs> but thank you very much. I'm going to hang up and listen to you guys on the air. Okay. Thanks, thanks for calling, Raj. And I'm contemplating having dinner and then going to the bathroom after that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for telling us. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Rich. All right. Uh, the phone line is open, 802-526-2326, 802-526-2326. Or if you have Skype on your computer, you can Skype John Barkhausen, all one word. Let's see. Have you ever seen the article, Ray, uh, called... Um, I think it's called Against the Tide, and it's uh, about minority views in science and the experience of several scientists. So we have another caller coming in. I'm going to take that. All right, you're on the air. Hi, this is Justin. I was wondering if uh, Ray could elaborate on uh, any misconceptions he thought science might have in its view of the immune system. All right. Thanks, Justin. Uh, Let me just say before you start, Ray, can I, I just got to say this is WMRWLP Warren. Okay, sorry. Uh, that was about the immune system? Yeah, any, um, Justin, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Can you repeat that again? Uh, um, any, any misunderstandings you, you think science might have in the way it views the functions or the, the interactions of the immune system? Uh, yeah, I think the, the the best answer to that is to look at the articles by um, Polly Matzinger and Jamie Cunliffe, or Cunliffe, C-U-N-L-I-F-F-E, and Polly Matzinger. Uh, they, uh, I think, uh, they are inspired by the the thinking of of Eli um, Metchnikoff. Uh, who was contemporary uh, with uh, uh, Ehrlich, the um, 
the, the magic bullet uh, drug person. Uh, uh, that the German view of the uh, immune system is the one that was profitable to the chemical drug industry, looking for uh, a magic bullet that would kill each kind of germ and then, uh, by extension, applying it to the uh, cancer, looking for chemicals that would kill cancer cells and not human uh, non-cancer cells. Uh, but uh, Metchnikoff took a totally different approach to the immune system, the developmental, nutritional, uh, uh, morphogenic approach, and uh, that didn't find any commercial sponsors, uh, and it, it was the French-Russian orientation uh, that actually was the biological orientation rather than the industrial. Uh, and so uh, the, the place where his ideas are, are well summed up, uh, the, the alternative idea of the immune system is 